This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. So yeah, all going well with the um, with the 4G so far, I think. It used a lot of data, because for the event yesterday, um, it was at 2pm UK time, I came up to the, the field, the other side of the, the campsite where we're staying, where I know we've got decent 4G, because um, we, we went for a walk in the morning, um, Charlie was just like running around the field playing, and Heather was playing with him, and I was kind of wandering around for my speed test app. <laughs> trying, to, trying to work out where the best 4G was and there's, there's a space I'm basically in, in, in a bit where somebody would usually pitch a tent right but given that we're you know sort of approaching winter literally no one is pitching a tent so I've got the whole field to myself look a little bit weird I've just had a couple of dog walkers go by and of course now I've got my headphones on and my laptop on and I've got a USB audio <laughs> thing on the passenger seat the and dash, I'm holding a microphone yeah. so I look a little bit like a spy but it's fine <laughs> <laughs> They probably assume you're on a teleconference or something. I don't know. I look a little bit weird because I'm having to hold the mic as well. Normally, I've got a boom arm at home, but I'm kind of holding the yeah. mic at the moment. Um, which okay, you know, I guess that'll explain any weird audio issues that you might experience <laughs> while listening. If I suddenly sound weird or you hear a weird bang, that's probably me moving. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably the strangest place I've ever podcasted from, but it's quite a nice view to be fair. So that's cool. That's cool. Um... <laughs> Guessing you didn't watch the event. I, I didn't know. Um, I, I, well, I didn't watch it live. What I did is I got up earlier, um, tried to ignore every single thing I could see on my phone. Um, and then, yeah, just hit up apple.com and went straight to, straight to the event. Oh, okay, uh, so I, I managed about maybe, well, I, I skipped a few bits um, on purpose, just sort of sped a few things up. Yeah. Um, so I missed a lot of the intro and that sort of stuff. And then I, I, I went straight for sort of watching the, the Mac side of the event. So the MacBook Air and the, uh, the Mac Mini. Mm-hmm. And then to be honest, the, the iPad side of things, I've kind of caught up just by sort of reading articles and that side of stuff. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I took a fair old chunk out of my data that yesterday. Um, I'll bet, yeah. I reset my data statistics within settings before because I was kind of curious to know what it was going to what it's going to take and from yeah. start to finish i stopped watching just as tim cook um said something about we've got a special musical guest i was like well i don't really need to see that and this is using loads of data so um <laughs> to that point it took about 3.1 3.2 gigs of data wow okay. yeah I, I was expecting I, I wasn't expecting that much to be quite honest because before mm. coming away to this um caravan we downloaded a load of stuff from Netflix onto the iPad. Yeah, that's like pretty good quality, as good good a quality as what I watched yesterday, I would argue. And a lot of the episodes are coming in way smaller when you download them off of Netflix. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing Apple are pushing out quite a high quality stream. Although in my case, it's kind of wasted on a small phone screen that I had propped up on the dashboard of the car <laughs> as I sat and watched it. But yeah, it, yeah, it sounds very much like it's not um, the stream's not necessarily tweaking. Uh, depending on what what the device is sort of receiving it, um, mm. perhaps not as far as it could could do. Um, Netflix as well they they use a very good set of compression techniques to get their file sizes right down. And I think there's a bit of proprietary stuff. I think we're watching, we're watching season two of Making a Murderer, and they're roughly about like an hour hour and ten sometimes length of episodes. And I think they were clocking in at just like three thirty meg each. Yeah, 
So when you consider that the Apple event was just over an hour, so roughly similar length, um, almost 10 times the data, it's yeah, a bit of a shock. But luckily I've got 10 gig of data, um, which I very rarely use, so it's kind of nice to actually put my data limit to good use for once. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like I'm there paying for it every month and I you know, barely touch it, but when you do need it, you need it kind of thing. I was going to say that that is nearly, well, no, that is my monthly limit, what you used right. yesterday. <laughs> so I, yeah. I would have managed the event and that would have been it um, and probably not even that given what I use so mm. yeah um, it's, it's yeah I mean, this, this podcast by comparison wouldn't won't, won't be taking much I think um, when I was on Daryl's Outpost show last night I reset the stats again before tethering to the MacBook and in the hour hour and 15 I was on the call with him on Skype I think it clocked in at just over 110 meg so right. yeah podcasting's fine yeah. for for different again yeah yeah how'd that go i mean that was i'm guessing quite ipad orientated not really we um we we started with just me and me and daryl talking about the macbook air then chris lawley came on and we spoke about the mac mini and then we had andy uh from the dent have you heard of that that site the dent it's been i've seen it around quite a bit on twitter lately you should check it out it's really good um he came on and we discussed, the four of us, the iPad, but then my battery started dying, so I, I had to go, which was uh, a little bit unfortunate. But luckily they were kind of in mid-discussion, so I just grad- sort of just faded out of the conversation and stopped recording and disconnected from the Skype call just as my MacBook was about to die. So, yeah, highlighted to me how different it is when you're on a podcast with more than two people. Because I find we're liable to talk over each other sometimes, and I always kind of kick myself when we do it. But I think we're kind of at the mercy of... Uh, like latency on on Skype call, especially with you being in New Zealand. Yep. Um, and obviously Chris was coming in from the states on that Skype call, so perhaps there was a little bit of that as well. Yeah, I think I was even more self conscious than usual of talking over people, and perhaps stayed quiet a bit more than I should have. It's, it's difficult. It's a different dynamic, isn't it, when there's four of you? Yeah, very much. Daryl was very good at kind of being the jockey, as it were, sort of like asking each one of us questions, giving us clear points to talk. So it wasn't like a massive yep. free for all, which uh, yeah, I was grateful for that. But yeah, it's good good experience though to be on to be on a show with more than like two people because it changes it more than you might think. I um I look forward to hearing the show. I, I'm guessing that's um, going to cross paths with this one or, or something. I think it's already so, out. Uh, um, right, fair enough. Again, I came back to my internet field this morning uh, <laughs> when the uh, when I charged my MacBook overnight and tried to send Daryl the audio. That took ages because <laughs> I'm getting about twelve down and three up at the minute. Um, right, on, the, fair on, enough. on the two bars of 4G and I think I've just taken for granted how good our internet at home is because normally we're looking at like 20-ish up and like when I send stuff to you when we're finished um, you know it, it, it's done before I know it but I was sat here for like half an hour trying to upload a 100 meg mp3 file over um, over the 4G one of those one of those where you just realise actually you know, we've got it really good at home and you, it's easy to take it for granted it kind of feels a little bit weird you feel a bit vulnerable out here <laughs> <laughs> like you know the call's going well so far like we're, i'm on 4g now talking to you tethering with the macbook it's so far so good but I, I, there's still that nagging feeling that all of a sudden it's going to start you're going to start hearing that jitter in the audio and maybe it'll drop or or just yep. something will happen uh, but yeah at the mercy of the elements <laughs> yeah start at the beginning macbook air so what do you think um well i'm still a little bit confused and a little bit disappointed but still glad that it's happened <laughs> in other words i'm <laughs> conflicted because yeah 
the first thing that stuck out to me, uh, the video where they introduced it, um, they kind of had them spinning through the air, I think, or, or some kind of artistic shot of it. And the first thing I noticed was, that's a touch ID sensor. I just saw it come into view very quickly. Yeah, it just feels odd that we, we're getting touch ID in a brand new Mac, given that face ID is kind of like the new hotness that's still being pushed and almost promoted as a really cool new thing in Macs. Uh, I was kind of hoping for Face ID. I can't, probably an unrealistic hope, thinking about it. But yeah, I, I guess it's good that it has it, that it has Touch ID, <laughs> but versus not having anything at all. It just, it just seems at odds with the messaging they're going for with the iOS platforms, the iOS hardware. And it's kind of like, well, the Mac can have all the old stuff that's lying around. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit upset about it. I don't, don't know what you think. No, no, I agree. Like I, I was expecting or kind of hoping for Face ID rather than Touch ID. Uh, I was that's happened. I think in a couple of things with this this model. So as well as that, there's the the keyboard. Um, it looks like it's it's what it's, it's the same sort of mechanism as the latest MacBook Pros. Is that right? Yeah, third gen butterfly, which oddly I took as almost a good thing. Um, I imagine there are a lot of groans around the world as that was announced, because um, I know you know listening to the kind of the, all the podcasts and blogs, there was some vague hope of maybe a version four or, or something. It was kind of a bit yeah. of an out there wish list item, but that that was my hope. I was I was hoping that they'd do something else. Yeah, but given that they've gone for the third gen, that kind of gives me a little bit of confidence in it, um, more so than it just being on the pros, um, because sitting here now as someone who's potentially thinking about pulling the trigger on a pro in the next few months perhaps one of my biggest concerns is the keyboard because i don't have that issue at the moment with my imac setup and i would be moving away from an imac setup in favor of a like a one machine macbook pro setup and that keyboard would be one of my biggest concerns surrounding that but given that they've put that keyboard on the macbook air which is presumably the laptop they're hoping to sell a ton of, gives me confidence in their confidence in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, when you put it like that, that, that does make a lot of sense. Because they're not going to want to be having issues with, you know, I don't even know how many they're likely to sell. I'm guessing a lot, because this is going to be the laptop that people are going to send their kids off to college with and loads yeah. of other various markets are going to be interested in it. So I very much doubt they're going to want to have issues like they've had with the second-gen uh, butterfly keyboards on the Pros with this. So True. kind of a victory, I suppose, in a roundabout way. It supports the idea that Apple believe in that keyboard. I'm not sure. I think it remains to be seen whether that's sort of a a good thing, you know, whether that kind of meets reality, because I think I've already seen a few things sort of saying that the that um generation of keyboards still suffers from sort of longer term issues and i think we're still in a position with the the edge of the macbook pros where that's not necessarily fully known in a lot of ways yet yeah we just can't know really no the the, the incident rate and that sort of thing it, it, you assume that it's not everybody it can't be everybody and that it's not that soon you know it, we've we've still got maybe another six or seven months i guess uh, before it starts to sort of really sort of show up as to whether it's the same as the previous gen. Uh, I mean, they must I, have done some kind of accelerated testing, though, to 
I, to at yeah. least be semi-confident or mostly confident, you would hope that they're going to be okay this time. So, no, I take your point, and, and actually that's a good way of looking at it, that it, it kind of implies that Apple is supporting this keyboard overall. And, and if you think about it, you, you're right as well in terms of this is going to be a mass-adopted machine potentially for the Mac. And on that basis of it being sort of um, a lower price than the Pro models and that that end of things as well, their margins on it, I assume, are going to be a little tighter. And if you think about that, that means that any returns, any extra work that they have to do after the sale, well, that will just erode that margin. So, yeah, they absolutely don't don't want it to be coming back. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right there, actually, and, and, and putting it that lens on it, that that means the keyboard's not necessarily such a bad thing. Um, and, yeah potentially gives a bit of uh, food for thought for the uh, the MacBook Pro on that basis as well. Well, I yeah, think... because before the event, I was kind of saying, uh, I think a couple of episodes ago, that I'd be interested in this machine as the one to watch to kind of see where the Pro might be going longer term. And yeah. it doesn't seem like there's any real kind of giveaways. So, again, that kind of makes me more reassured about if uh, the timing's right and I can get the funds right. Uh, within this generation MacBook Pros and maybe just sort of go along with that really and not hold off for you know hoping the next one's going to do this or that that we've seen a glimpse of in in this new MacBook Air essentially to me it seemed kind of like what I was hoping for in a way in that it's like a stretched 12 inch MacBook yeah yeah I I was thinking thinking that myself Um, certainly with the screen now and and the the sort of loss of the bevels uh, it's, it's looking very much like it's the uh, the adorable's big brother, and not that much bigger, really. They still kept the air name, which really confuses me, and is probably going to confuse <laughs> a lot of other people, right? I kind of saw this as an opportunity for them to clean up this, frankly, mess that they've got in the consumer line of laptops, and it seems that they just haven't done that. If anything, it's now just as confused as it ever was because we've got the twelve-inch MacBook, which remains on sale completely unchanged you've got the 13 inch escape still on sale completely unchanged yeah and now we still have the macbook air albeit a new macbook air that sits in a confusing kind of well i'm like the middle computer but it's it's odd i I at least expected them to discontinue the 13 inch escape that was kind of like the, the the minimum i would have expected from them and the the kind of the next step for me um would have been to have maybe called this MacBook Air the 13-inch MacBook? Because then it's it's clear, isn't it? It's like you've got the MacBook and MacBook Pro, and there's kind of clear definitions between each range of products. Um, I'm looking at it today. Obviously, I haven't seen any benchmarks of the Air yet. I don't know if... if, Have you seen anything yet? I guess it's too early. No. No. No, I've not Um, seen anything there yet for that. I mean, for similar kind of money, you you can be looking at a 13-inch Escape, which I'm guessing is going to be probably more powerful. Um, because looking at the chip that's gone into the air, it's, um, I don't know if you saw, there was a Mac, uh, a Mac rumors article yesterday that I read that said there was a bit of confusion about what chip it's actually using because the description that Apple gave of the chip on stage by saying kind of what, what speed it runs at and what G- integrated GPU it comes with, they couldn't find that chip on Intel's, uh, like product database. All right. And then it was like, well, it looks like Apple are using a chip that no one else has got access to yet. And then Intel did update that later on. Um, and it yeah. turns out it's running um, an Amber Lake 
CPU. So you've got the 12-inch, which runs the 5-watt the generation of CPU, so like the super low-power ones. And yeah. the thinking originally was that it's kind of the same in the, the MacBook Air. It's running a 5-watt. Um, it turns out it runs at 7, so a little bit more. The thing I can't, oh, I haven't got an answer to yet, mostly because I don't have any internet unless I come to this stupid field, is whether the, um, the MacBook Air has a fan or not. Because mm. my assumption was that I kind of said a couple of episodes ago, you know, stretch the 12-inch, put a fan in it to allow for higher-powered CPUs, call that done. And that's more or less what we've got. But now I'm in this position where they have stretched it, um, slightly more powerful CPUs in that they've gone for, like, the 7-watt generation. I'm guessing it's going to be a... They're going to outperform the 12-inch by some margin, I would presume. Um, yeah, I imagine there's going to be a fan in there. There, there is on the older models. Yeah, it's it just one of those details I've just... Pretty much until right now, having this conversation for the past 24 hours, I've just been assuming... I even said it on Daryl's show last night. Oh, yeah, there's a fan in the MacBook Air. <laughs> I'm thinking now, do I actually know if there's a fan in the MacBook Air? Could they get away without one if they're using 7-watt CPUs? I don't know. It'll be interesting, right? Because if there's not, then I could see sort of future progression for the, for the just the MacBook uh, in being that they could discontinue that and essentially bring back the uh, the 11-inch MacBook Air. Uh, yeah. which you know if, if you imagine that they're, they're kind of obviously getting rid of the bevel it's almost the same machine as the just the macbook and if the the market for that machine is is you know the really small really light then i guess that that is that machine then at that point that was the thing you know the, the 11 inch macbook air got got discontinued 13 inches is the size that it is and then the, the the 12 inch macbook sort of sits just below that it's higher value higher price because it had the better screen it had the the better weight so yeah, yeah. it was essentially the chassis of the 11 inch but with thinner bezels i guess the screen could go to 12 inch yeah so i guess yeah. the next step would be to rename the macbook the, the 12 inch macbook air with that would that be the next one? Yeah, or, or like I say, to sort of go for, for squeezing it down just that little bit smaller uh, to differentiate it that bit further. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The, the lineup is a bit of a mess at the moment in, in, in that sense. I think there's something there in terms of, uh, I suspect the air name has hung around because it's got quite a lot of brand recognition. Uh, and I think it, it kind of has has become... You know the the moniker for the for that that end of category. It's funny because when the air sort of came out, that it, it implied a lot of what the the MacBook is today. You know, I remember people getting airs specifically because they were the lightest possible Mac, and and I think that has shifted over time, and the airs actually become sort of more synonymous with this. Uh, it's the Mac uh, laptop for everybody. You know, like mm-hmm. when they sort of said in the event about all the things sort of people use them for, and the fact that they're sort of, you know, they're they're not just doing bits of work or whatever. They're they're being used for watching videos in dorm rooms and that sort of stuff. You know, I think that is your your current MacBook Air market. So I, I, I sort of feel like, well, that's that's probably the reason they haven't just canned it, called it the MacBook. You know, merge the lines. The, the the air itself as a name must have this sort of wider recognition, and so they've kept it. You know, they obviously believe there's some strength there, and and I actually feel like well, maybe they could uh, could just drop the MacBook on its own. Then in that case, 
you know, if that is where, where the stronger naming is, you've, you've then got MacBook Air um, and then just MacBook Pro after that. Yeah, that would work for me. Um, but just the fact that the MacBook and the MacBook Air are so clearly kind of the same family of products, but they're called something different, it, it just seems odd still. And then I suppose the 13-inch Escape kind of complicates, muddies the waters a little bit because price-wise it's very similar. Um, but performance-wise, yeah. I'm saying this about seeing any MacBook Air benchmarks. I'd be really interested to see them as soon as possible. Um, but I'm presuming the 13-inch Escape would outperform it, even though it's an older generation of, of stuff. Um, don't know. Really don't know. But I'd be interested yeah, to see I... the benchmarks. Just, um, just out of curiosity is to know whether it's even in the running for something that I could potentially use. Um, I know I keep saying I'm considering a MacBook Pro, but I'm trying to remain open-minded, if you see what I mean. Even yeah. if it is an outside chance that a MacBook Air could work. Um, if the CPU is enough, let's say, for doing what I do, and I can maybe bolt on an external GPU at some stage, I I mean, I'd, I'd be open to looking, put it that way. Um, so yeah, as soon as I can see yeah. some benchmarks, as soon as possible, that'd be good. And it's, it's interesting. I've seen a couple of, I think I, if we move on to sort of talking about the mini, mm-hmm. but kind of with that focus on what you're talking about, about there, about sort of upgrading and coming off your iMac, I have seen a few people talking about the idea of running um, a, a decent sort of spec mini as their desktop machine, but then having an air as, as their sort of, you know, go-to for travel. Right. Okay. And, and if, if you think of what, um, of what the sort of total cost of that could come to, you're kind of into sort of just over um, an iMac, I guess, at a point. If, if you've already got a screen hanging around, all that sort of stuff, yeah, you know, and, and keyboards and everything for the Mini, then, yeah, that, that becomes an attractive sort of position. I mean, you'll have to juggle the problem you've had recently, which is having two, two machines on the go and how you sync your files and that sort of stuff. But it, it does become a proposition is that, well, the, the Mini as it is today is actually sort of fairly reasonably spec now and if that does the majority of what you want out of a, a desktop machine well then save that money get two <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get one of each um yes yeah, so, i mean to to get into the mini itself though I, I was quite impressed with with the the specs of the mini overall certainly in terms of like the processor I think yeah. that's, that's quite an interesting thing. So quad core is the base. And then the next one up is, is hex core. Yeah. I think that's basically kind of what everything I was asking for last episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel really pleased that, that, that it's been released. Um, I kind of just wish I had a use for it because at the moment I feel like my priorities are coming away from the desktop. If I, if I were considering, you know, let's say I do move away from my iMac setup to a MacBook Pro plus monitor scenario, there's a very real chance that if I ever did think, well, you know, maybe a desktop machine at home that's dedicated would be nice. Yeah, that is exa- this is exactly where I'd be looking. Um, yeah. Yeah, r- really, really pleased with the result. It's just, a, yeah, one, one of those things where it's like, this is awesome, but I've got no need for it. for me i'm I'm sort of looking at it and going well this is this is what i want i'm sort of you know in in a market for um a new machine at home at some point over the next year and i think that's that's exactly what i want to get i was just saying i was talking to um chris lawley last night on daryl's show and on the outpost and 
I I haven't really been following the prices of the Mac Mini in the UK for a long time, just purely because I've never been in the market for one. Um, and he was saying that in the US at least, and I would presume it follows suit in the UK because it seems in the UK we just changed the dollar sign for a pound sign and that's the end of it. Um, he was saying that there's about, a, I think it was either two or $300 difference now in price from like yep. base model up to the what there is now. Yeah, and quite a jump. Yeah, it is quite a jump. And you can kind of see why because now it's like SSD only and faster CPUs, you know, et cetera. But again, it, I think it all comes back to that thing where the Mac Mini not now it almost seems like it doesn't need to be that machine that is kind of the cheap gateway drug if you like into the apple ecosystem i think yeah like we were saying the the original yeah. one perhaps it was back in the day um you you hear a lot less of the why isn't there a cheaper mac thing now because people can kind of scratch their apple itch with a an entry-level ipad things like that exactly yeah so yeah i guess it, it is a bit more money but it maybe doesn't need to be that cheap machine given that the way they positioned it on stage as well, it kind of fell into that kind of hobbyist, enthusiast market. And then it, they even talked about people like Mac Stadium, where they rack loads of them, things like yeah. that. Um, so I think it's like it's kind of markets evolved over time. I think I think that's true. And, and I think, yeah, you know, you're, you're right. They don't really have to cater for the uh, the very, very entry level in the same way these days. You know, I mean, people, I, th- I think one of the routes that people are sort of taking to the Mac is kind of this sort of gradual Apple halo effect. You know, they get the phone, they try, maybe try an iPad, maybe not. And then a Mac is sort of, well, when they their, their laptop dies or their desktop dies, you know, they're, they're sort of then considering, do I want to, to go that bit further? I think there's this sort of gradual kind of, of, of route that some people go. And I, I think it's much less a story than it was sort of 10, 10 years back. Yeah. Of people sort of you know going okay, I want to leave Windows. You know, I mean, if they ran the the, the Mac versus PC uh, adverts these days, I don't think they'd have the same traction at all because I think a lot of people are just using their phones uh, for yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think the story is different around the Mini these days than it was, and I think for for looking at a Mini from my perspective, I am definitely in that sort of. A hobbyist sort of stroke professional who wants that bit more power out of a, a sort of desktop Mac. Uh, but I don't necessarily want a, an iMac. You know, I actually like the Mini because I can choose my own monitor and I can sort of, you get the vague impression of kind of being able to upgrade as you see fit in that sort of sense. No, I can uh, totally get that. Um, that's kind of part of the appeal, actually, of going back to a MacBook Plus monitor setup. Because again, like with with the whole monitor thing, you're you're kind of free to to experiment a little bit. Um, I've been looking at some some BenQ monitors recently, some 32 inch yeah. 4K monitors, and they look really really nice. They're getting some good reviews. Um, I'd be interested to see if I don't know at that resolution whether it would work. Whether you could just run it natively, um, so not running it at two X, but just sort of run it natively. Um, I'm not sure how that would look, but it'd give you a, a load of real estate. That's for sure. It would, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, so, I'm really so yeah, I can sure. I can definitely see the appeal of of you know doing a very similar thing with a with a Mac Mini or or, or whatever. It's um, especially with monitors and things like that. Once you kind of step out of Apple Land, you get some really good value out there. <laughs> it's got to be said. Yeah. So yeah, it's a slippery slope, I guess. Um, you know, it starts starts with the monitor, and before long, you're building a Hackintosh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the 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 Mac Mini as it stands today 
is actually quite a good guard against the Hackintosh after a point. Yes. So I, I think where it falls down against the Hackintosh is on the, the GPU front. I think that's that's going to be a thing. I think that maybe, you know, the first enclosure that is exactly the same sort of shape or has a kind of groove to fit a Mac Mini on top or something like that, I think that they'll sell quite a few of those. I'm not so sure about the big, uh, the big kind of um, alien egg sort of designed uh, GPU that Apple is selling. Oh, um, the external I've... GPU. Yep, yep. Yeah, you're not sure about that. No, they'll they'll sell, but I think if you're sort of thinking about people who otherwise might have built a Hackintosh, those people are going to want to have the card that they want in mm. the enclosure. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see people kind of coming coming across from there as well. And the machine, the Mac Mini being a better CPU, being uh, user-upgradable RAM again. Yay! <laughs> That's a big deal. That that was such a, a negative move when they did that uh, four years back. And, and we actually avoided getting that model and going for a refurb so that I could do the, the RAM upgrade myself. Okay. You know, we got we got a base model with like four gig of RAM in it, and it's now running sixteen. So, yeah, you know, I mean, like as it stands, the upgrades I've done, I, th- I think, are just really quite good. There's there was one still that they showed in in the event, uh, and they they showed a load of Macs kind of stacked on a desktop, yes. so a load a load of mini stacked. And they actually mentioned about compiling code. Yeah. They, they sort of implied like um, you could run another Mac and then kind of just chuck another mini on the desktop sort of thing um, and leverage its power. And I'm really curious about that. I had a look at sort of distributed Xcode building and that side of stuff. And I think as it stands today, the, the uh, setup that, that there is there is actually more about um, automated builds and having different bots kind of configured yeah. with Xcode, yeah? Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily leverage the power of another machine as if you were literally compiling it with it there and then. It's more about builds are being, being made and are then available to you. So is that still the case then? I think so, yeah. And, and, and I think distributed Xcode building, what it was a thing a few years ago, um, you could run... OS, um, Mac OS server. Yeah. And you could then kind of leverage, leverage other machines from Xcode, I believe. And then, and then you sort of hit build and they, they go and do some of that work for you and return back, um, back to the machine that's running. So I, I don't know. I'm curious. I, I, I would love there to be that sort of position where, you know, okay, my build times are sucking. I could just keep the machine I've got, but, add a mini on my desk and and leverage its speed as well yeah i mean that was kind of the impression i got from the from the presentation when that when that bit stuck out to me in the same way it did to you i was kind of like oh so i could just have a mac mini in the house hooked up to the network and that can do when i sort of do you know command b or whatever on, on my yeah. MacBook, then the build gets chucked over the network built on the mini and sent back i don't, I don't know obviously how the network would handle that but who knows i may, maybe there's something there to that's going to come down the line a little bit later. Uh, I don't think it's there as it is today, though. I might, I might need to look a bit further, but initial 
you know, searches and looking through documentation just revealed um, either this sort of distributed um, automated builds and, and bots set up, which I don't think quite delivers in that way. Um, and then that sort of building was something that existed a few years ago and was then discontinued. So, I mean, if, if that were a thing, it would certainly give me pause and consider the feasibility, as I was saying, about a MacBook Air. Yeah. Um, because obviously the MacBook Airs are a lot cheaper. That would mean that I could potentially hang on to my iMac and have that hooked exactly, up yeah. in, in a similar capacity as a Mac Mini to the network. Or, yeah, it just puts a lot of different options into play, doesn't it? It, it would do. And uh, I mean, like, I can see that. Yeah, you know, video rendering apps and that sort of stuff. A lot of them have these these other modes to go and sort of do distributed processing across the network and that sort of stuff. So I could see that image sort of applying straight to to that world as it is today. Yeah, but I'm sure they said something. About, I'll have to go and watch it again. No, I think you're not you're not imagining it. I I, I took the same message away that you did. Um, it maybe they just didn't give us the details to <laughs> actually yeah. figure out what it is or what it isn't. But you you can imagine if if that was the case, then. Xcode on the iPad, for example, if that could leverage that process, that could be quite awesome as well. Yeah, that's a good point. This could all be lining up for that, couldn't it? Yeah, and then at that point, the discussion about a modular Mac Pro, I'm not sure what that really becomes, if if you get me. You know, you've already kind of got it in terms of you could just keep stacking minis and and there you go. You could use those for for Xcode and, and other intense processes you know they they uh like like i mentioned before video rendering and, and and 3d rendering and that sort of stuff anything that can distribute out the the um work and then bring it back together at the end sort of quite naturally uh th- those needs are all fulfilled by just adding another mini on the desk yeah i guess maybe when gpus become more of a concern within a workload uh workflow sorry maybe that's when a mac pro but it- and when you need absolute maximum throughput, just no matter what, you just need the most money can buy. Yeah. Um, maybe that's kind of what the Mac Pro is for. Um, but but at that point, you know, maybe 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 that machine actually starts to look a bit how I was describing a um, an external GPU enclosure earlier on. You know, it's that sort of size. It lets you put in your own card and work with that or in some fashion. And then otherwise you've got this this sort of ability to just keep adding minis on the top as well. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Um, I mean, yeah, it all remains to be seen, but that, that, that image, I don't know, that, that just sparked something for me in terms of the idea of sort of modularity and that's that side of things. So, yeah, I, I mean, I hope we see, see something that lets them be used in, in that kind of way, because yeah, straight up that, that makes it really useful to me. You know, if I can sort of go, well, okay, I've that, my mini's sat there, but I'm running its code on my older laptop and I can just kind of leverage the mini from across the house. That'd be cool. I mean, obviously it's got to do the turnaround in, in transmitting the data across the, the network, but I think... I wonder how that project, would look in terms of time. Yeah, it depends on what the um, what the round trip is to to the destination right if you're building it to run yeah you're going to need one machine to be the master to bring everything together obviously but the um the end point is the bill go potentially goes across the network anyway to the uh to the device running it if you're testing on device 
So yeah, maybe there's other optimizations that could come in there. You know, the the, the parts might need to to just go across the network to the device straight off, or just the delta that you know if you just made a change and you've already done a build a few minutes ago, say, it can just yeah. send the change across to the mini to be compiled. Which could, exactly, which, yeah, yeah, things like that. Yeah, so uh, all remains to be seen, but it'd be awesome if if that was the sort of technology we were playing with. Because for all these other use cases, you know, and then then having a mini sat there almost headless, but there for when you need the power, sort of becomes a thing. And and you know, for me, I'd be using that as my my desktop machine, and I'd be very very tempted to to try and do other things with it, so I could access it remotely when I'm out of the house. If if I could dial into it from my iPad in some fashion, that'd be great. You know, mm. yeah, no, no. I think it was, um, yeah, real a really solid update. Um, just kind of, yeah, wish I had a need to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes, or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also we have our slack channel we'd love to invite you to join our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out if you'd like to join uh, just leave us a message on twitter at wfr podcast and we'll get you signed up so dave before we run off where can people find you you can find me on twitter at dw roboheads that's roboheads spelled with a z and you can find my apps at roboheads.com again that's roboheads spelled with a z how about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot. <laughs>